what I really tell people to do, Peter, is you keep a lot of who you called, when you called, outcome, next step, and always send a thank you note. Handwritten. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 22 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. Today's guest is Greg Lanus, who's a senior vice president and division director for Robert Half Management Resources. I met Greg in a class that I was teaching at the Connecticut Society of CPAs, and we hit it off immediately. Now, we're both of Greek descent, we're both CPAs, and we both are accidental accountants, as you will hear in this interview. The other thing that we have similarities in is knowing the power of networking. This episode is a wonderful lesson on how to become a better networker. This episode would have never occurred if Craig had never come up and introduced himself to me. It's just that simple. Also, if you're looking for a job or thinking about it, this episode is a must listen. Before we get to Greg's interview... I hope you're enjoying my podcast, and I would greatly appreciate if you would take five minutes and write an iTunes review. It helps the visibility of this podcast in the iTunes world to attract a larger audience. And if you're unsure of the steps in writing a review, please visit this episode on my website and look in the show notes for the directions. And remember, you can listen to my podcast by downloading the episode from my website or on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you've not signed up for the SN Challenge, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and scroll down to the SN Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the effective habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. If you're unsure of what the SN Challenge is all about, I discuss this in detail in episode zero, so go back and take a listen. I would like to share with you my recent article titled, Manage Stress with These Six Improv Principles. Now, I wrote this article to help everyone, especially accountants, in dealing with the upcoming busy season, which is a very stressful time. The six improv principles that I referred to in the article are communication, awareness, adaptability, attitude, calm and chaos, and finally, humor. I end the article by saying, A regular dose of laughter reduces stress. It really is the best medicine. It loosens us up and bolsters the immune system. Stress, on the other hand, can get us sick, causing productivity to plummet. So start laughing and get your coworkers to chuckle as well. Whether your stress in life results from a physical condition, a family member, or your workplace demands, so much of your success in overcoming these challenges depends on your ability to perceive things positively. Either you win or you let the stress win. Choose to beat it with improvisation. I put a link to this article into the show notes. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Greg Lanus. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today, I've got a very special guest, uh, Greg Lanus out of Connecticut. Greg uh, is a employee in the higher echelons of Robert Half, and I want to first thank him for taking time out of his busy schedule. And once again, I greatly appreciate you for being a guest on my podcast, Greg. Peter, thank you very much for asking me. It's a pleasure. Greg, I met Greg... I guess it's been about a year and a half ago. I was in Connecticut uh, teaching at the Connecticut Society of CPAs, of course, and, and Greg was a student in my class uh, for the whole day, and he stayed awake for the whole time. I think he was the only one because, uh, as you'll find out in this interview, Greg is a, uh, we, I guess we could say like an accidental accountant. He's not your stereotypical accountant, and, and um, he's got a wealth of knowledge as it relates to the accounting profession. But first and foremost, Greg, can you give the audience a little bit uh, about your background? Surely. Thank you, Peter. Well, I'm, I was originally raised in Waterbury, Connecticut, which is a blue-collar town, 100,000 population, plus or minus. I am a graduate of Northeastern University in Boston, where I majored in accounting, and coincidentally, that's where I met my wife. When I first graduated, I worked for a bank in Rhode Island as an internal auditor. And my goal was to become a CIA and did not really want to go to the CPA route as I did an internship with Pete in those days, but now it's called KPMG. Anyway, I worked for the bank for a year and realized that for me to accelerate, I was going to have to get my CPA. So I came back to Connecticut and worked in a medium-sized CPA firm by the name of Whittlesey and Hadley. I was there for over four years. My wife and I had our first we wanted to expand the family, et cetera, so I wanted out of public, and I worked at ESPN during their infancy. And while at ESPN, I was responsible for the budgeting and forecasting, primarily for expenses in the sales and marketing area. And that was really the inspiration to get to where I am today. So in 1987, I came to Robert Half International, and we are the world's largest financial staffing specialist firm, publicly traded New York Stock Exchange. And we company's been in existence since 1948. Well, my first 10 years were with the Account Temps Division, which people are quite familiar, familiar with. And then since 1998, I've been running the Management Resources Division here in Hartford. And what I do is play senior level accounting, finance, and systems professionals on projects and interim engagements. So we're not the temp side, we're not the perm side, we're the financial consulting side. I became the first person in the history of the company to get 20 million in gross margin. And then also I've been very involved with the Connecticut Society of CPAs as I'm one of the past presidents. And over my career, I've also been a president of one of the local institute and management accounts chapters. So I try to really be involved with the accounting community as well. I often speak to students. I often speak to people who are in, in no matter where they are in, in the spectrum of their career, primarily around accounting and finance. But most of the things that I talk to people about are universal. So that's me in the nutshell. There's one thing that you you, you left out in, in your background, and um, I'll just bring it up. You know, I I've, I could say that you're a character, but I can say that you're a character in in a way that most people can't relate to being a character. You are actually a character in the book Flashback by Gary Bravery. Am I correct? Yes, I am. 
Yes, you are. And if I remember, I have the book. I'm opening the book right now, and I believe it's on page. It started chapter 19 on page 115. That's correct. And Greg Lanus and his wife. Marianne sat in the back seat. It was late on a Sunday morning, a beautiful early September day in the big blue sky filled with sunny white puffs of clouds. You know, I've, 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 I've written a book, but I've never been a character in a book. And I think that one ups me because not everybody can say that they've been a character in a, in a novel. Well, thank you, Peter. And being an accountant, you know, when you when you go to the party, we're usually not the life of the party. So I look at this as one of my claim to fame. I didn't mention it, but thank you. But it's a long story, and I don't know whether your audience wants to hear it, but we can table that and I come back to it later. But the one thing I do is I bring the book whenever I speak to an audience, because for the most part, it revolves around careers, getting a job, networking, etc. And at the end of my session, as long as it needs, I usually pick on somebody in the audience to see if they've been paying, you know, if they're paying attention. <laughs> and I'll ask them to read the back jacket because the back jacket, it, as in most books, is a description of the author. And they read it out loud. And the author is actually a professor at Northeastern. So I'll say, okay, stop right there. What school did I go to? And they said, oh, you went to Northeastern. I said, okay, very good. Now open the page 115, and then I make them read it out loud, just the first paragraph. And I usually get oohs and ahs, and, and I'll stop the person right then and there. And then I ask the audience, does anybody know why I brought the book in, why I had someone read it out loud? And the, the response typically is, well, you wanted us to know you're in a book. And I said, no, that's not the reason why, but thank you. Anybody else? Nobody gets it. And then I'll close by saying, if I can network my way into a book, you should be able to network your way into a job. I said, class dismissed. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm clapping. That, that's, that's wonderful. I, if, if you can network your way into a book, you can network your way into a job. Uh, and networking is a big, uh, is one of my strong suits as well. I, I, I love networking, the, the power of networking. I'm, I'm always talking about. It. So let's talk about it then. Since since you've networked your way into a book, and even though you're on the the consulting side of Robert Half, what what advice do you give those students who are coming out of college, or, or even those who are currently working, whether they're in industry or firm? What what type of advice do you give them? Well, Peter, it's real simple. The first thing I'll tell somebody, if I can do it, you can do it. In that I try to make the party relaxed and, and let them know that it's not biology or, or, or chemistry 101 or something or it, uh, it organic. It's, it's simple and anybody can do it. What may come to somebody as a natural item could be incredibly difficult for someone else because unless you're exposed to it. But I look back at my jobs and they all came via networking. My job at Robert Heff came from networking. My job at ESPN, although I had to apply and go through the process, my neighbor and friend was a cameraman and I begged him to give me a tour of the company. I went in on a Saturday night. I met a bunch of the personalities or the talent and I had a bird's eye view of that company. I actually went into a live sports center update 
which I never did when I worked there. <laughs> and But when I applied for the job, I made reference to that. I was the only person who had a tour of ESPN. So that helped my cause. The job I got as, a, as an internal auditor in, in Rhode Island was a result of one of my college professors, not through the career services. My job in public, well, I only had a few months to get a job because my wife and I were getting married and she was living in Boston and I'm living in Cranston. And we wanted to settle in Connecticut, which is where we're both from. So the famous thing is if you have all day to do it, it'll take you all day to do it. If you only have a little while to do it, you get it done. So I made a decision because I always say when everything fails, let common sense prevail. And there's no textbook to tell me what to do. And back in those days, which was the late 70s, we didn't have internet, didn't have fax, phone, I've, nothing, nothing, nothing. Only it was a newspaper and a library. So you, we've all heard of the 30-second pitch, elevator pitch, right? all that stuff. But in my day, we didn't call it that. We just have to learn to sell yourself. So what I did was I would come home to Connecticut, get the wine ads from the Hartford Current, circle the entry level. And of course, I'd get back to my apartment Sunday night. And I had three choices with going after these ads because back in those days, they put the name, the phone number, whatever. I could either take a roll of dimes <laughs> and go into a, go a phone booth at lunchtime. I could go into a private office and charge all the phone calls to my home phone number, my apartment, or I could rush home after five o'clock, get on the phone in my, from my apartment and start calling these people. And I'll often ask people in my presentations, what do you think I did? None of them get it right. But yet I'm only 24, 25, and I figured out how to do this. Because as I said, when all else fails, let common sense prevail. I actually used to stand in front of the mirror and practice my, my presentation, my 30-second commercial, before I even picked up the phone. And I always say is that for every rejection, well, okay, it happens. But all you need is one acceptance, and that will overcome all the rejection. So I called this one CPA up, went into my dissertation. <laughs> he says, I can't help you, but he says, I know someone who can. He told me to call Bob Hadley of Whittle C. and Hadley. Now, if you realize why I called after five o'clock at night, well, no one's going to be there except the owners, the ones who lock the doors, the one who count the money, and the one who make the money. Bob Hadley answered the phone. And I go into my dissertation about being a Northeastern grad. Right away, he asked me, what did I think about Northeastern? I'm thinking, this is cool. So it turned into an interview turned into a job for a job that didn't exist, all from making a phone call to a total stranger. Oh, oh you, you said something there that, that, that I, I think is one of the big challenges that those who don't network well, that, 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 that their, their mother's in their head because you said the word total stranger. Right. And you remember what your mother told you? Don't talk to strangers. And when I talk to audiences about networking, I said, a stranger is somebody who's sitting downtown Columbus, Ohio, with a brown bag and Mogan David 2020, and they're talking to the lamppost. That's a stranger. But outside of that, in the business community, in professional environment, there's no such thing as a stranger. The potential, their opportunities, their colleagues, their peers, just go say hello. Go say hello. What's the worst thing that happens? They're not going to rip your head off. No, they're not. And, and I've, you know, I, as long as, as long as you're, you know, what you're doing right now, as long as you're smiling and you just introduce yourself, nobody's going to, you know, run away from you. Nobody's ever run away from me. Maybe after they've gotten to know me, they have, but not at that initial, Hey, how, hi, how are you doing? 
You bet. Now, Peter, it's specifically about the students. So I try to get to a level that they can identify with. So I'll talk to the students and I'll first ask, how many of you have ever gotten a job through your parents, your parents' friends, your friends, you're just your friends' parents, whereby they know who you are and they trust you, so they hire you. And you don't have to necessarily fill out an application, send a resume. They just know who you are. And then I'll say, how many people have actually hired somebody as a result of that? Because most of the time, these students are in retail or fast food, and it's who you know. And only I'll then start to extrapolate and make it now professional rather than just a summer job. And then I'll expand to how many have friends whose parents are in accounting or finance? Did you ever think to ask, can I talk to you, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, for a little while? Or how about this? How many friends' parents have their own company but also have a CPA firm? Maybe Mr. and Mrs. Jones could give you the intro to the firm. Another avenue is how many students have ever been to their career services department? Companies come on campus. Companies come on campus today. Companies have, haven't been on campus for a few years. Companies continue to come on. One of my greatest success stories, even though I didn't get the job at Northeastern, was that IBM and Texas Instruments both came on campus looking for sales and marketing people. Now, back in the 70s, these companies were, they're big today. Well, they were, but they were big back then. And I could have used a yellow ticket to make sure I get an interview and I could have bumped somebody. Well, I got interviews with both people and both HR reps. Mind you, now I'm 23, 24, whatever it is. Both HR reps said to me, well, Greg, why are you here? Because I see you want to be an accountant. And you know, I'm looking for sales and marketing people. My answer was, this is my only chance to have a one-on-one meeting with a representative of your company. Now, I know you're looking for sales and marketing people, but if you like me, you may refer me to the accounting HR representative and he or she may want to talk to me. And guess what? I got second interviews with both companies. Wow. That's, I, I, that, that's a wonderful strategy I would have never, ever thought of, but that is classic. See, it's common sense. It's, it's, not, it's not organic chemistry. Now, getting back to the students, all right? So you find out the companies that come on campus. You, did they hire anybody from their campus visit? Hopefully, Career Services has those records. Well, if they do, you pick up the phone and you call that grad of your school. And you reiterate your, your approach is that, I'm a junior, I'm a senior, I'm looking for an internship, looking for a full-time job, can you help me? What I've observed over the years is that you may not have enjoyed your college lifestyle or your allegiance to that college was not as strong when you're in school, but when you're out of school, your allegiance to that school is even stronger. And like grads from the same school like to help out their own fellow constituents. So a school of... Well, since we're in the Midwest, Ohio State, Ohio State grad is probably going to hire a Ohio State grad. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But what's the worst thing that happens? Nothing. What's the best thing that happens? You get a job. And then it continues. Then you, and then you may even call the representative of that company that came on campus. And then you go back three or four years. Next thing you know, you got an abundance list. And then you may find out that the company continually comes to your particular campus. Do you think they're going to want to talk to you if they've had a good success rate? Think about when you're back in high school and you want to make a college. If the college 
has a good track record with that particular high school, what are the chances of you making that college? Pretty good. Same thing. The next category you can go into are the alums of your college. There may be their own little LinkedIn page. That's one avenue. Even your high school is a may have their own LinkedIn page. Or you go into the you go into contacts at the particular company and you find out where they went to school. Next thing you know, you have your own list of people to call. You're going to have so many people you don't even know where to begin. And that's how it starts. And did I ever mention anything about did I ever use the word networking? Not once that I use that in this, but I just try to equate it to things that people can identify with. You put it in a, in a, in a context that that because I think a lot of people when they hear the word networking, they, they, that's a negative connotation. But you, but you found a way to put it in, in a sense to 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 drive that meaning, the the importance of meeting people. Now, since we're talking about the students, when you talk to them today, how do you how do you address the the issue of social media? And networking. Well, first with social media, I make sure that they use proper grammar, proper English. I tell them to have two different emails, one for business, one for fun. I've even said it's okay to have two different cell phones because the message on a college student's cell phone might not be the one that a prospective employer wants to hear. <laughs> and don't mix them up. So, so dealing with the technical attributes of that, but the ability to apply instead of phone to the email or the LinkedIn or texting, whatever is, are the same principles. Ask for help. Don't demand it. Ask politely and always send a thank you note. And always, what I really tell people to do, Peter, is you keep a lock of who you called when you called, outcome, next step, and always send a thank you note. Handwritten. If your handwriting is miserable, then definitely email. But email it as if it was coming from the heart, not from you're talking to your friend Mary or Joe. If I can just add one thing, how I became president of the Connecticut Society of CPAs. When I started the division manager resources, we, were, we are not a household name. Robert Half and Account Temps are the household names. And this, of course, goes back to 1998. My boss at the time said, Greg, there's the Connecticut side of CPA's golf tournament. You, you play golf, right? I said, yes, but not good. <laughs> she says, well, you should play. Well, I don't want to spend the money because, Greg, you got to get out and network. You know about networking. What's the matter with you? Go play. All right, I'll play. I was more fearful of my golf quality than my networking ability. So one of the other people that participate in the golf tournament is a very good friend of mine who I had known previously in the profession. I played three years in a row and he calls me up one day and he's on the golf committee. He's actually a past president of the Connecticut Society of CPAs. He called me up and said, Greg, how would you like to get on the golf committee? I'm thinking, what are you kidding me? What do I What you Wow, wow. All of a sudden, the antenna go up. You know, warning, warning. Remember, you know, warning, warning from the from the TV show. And he said, "Greg, we have fun, and we raise money, and it's not a lot of work." So, his name is Charlie. I said, "Charlie, you've done so much for me. So, if you ask me to to get on, I'll get on. But I don't want to promise something I can't deliver on, because the worst thing that people do is they overpromise and then deliver." I tell people all the time, it's not what you do, it's how well you do it. So 
I go to my first golf committee meeting and Greg, nice to have you here. I, I know names, but I don't know any of these people. And then they know I worked at ESPN. Oh, so they asked me, Greg, you know, what's becoming real popular are to have celebrities go to these golf tournaments. Can you help us? Great. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been out of ESPN for a very long time, but I still have friends. So I said, I will give it the best effort. I, but again, I don't want to promise something I can't deliver. Well, make a long story short. It's not what you do. It's how well you do it. I got ESPN talent to be MCs. I also obtained corporate sponsors. I also got golfers. I also got raffle prizes. And that was all part of my job anyway. Just ask. I mean, the word, whether I'm networking to get a job, networking to get business, networking to help people, call it whatever you want. I asked. The worst thing they do is say no. Now, because I've been doing it long enough, when I call, they're going to say, oh, cripe, what does Greg want now? <laughs> so I did that, and it wasn't exorbitantly hard. It just took time and effort. But anything worth striving for takes an effort. It isn't easy. If it was easy, I would be doing it. Right. Next thing you know, I got a call to be on the board of governors of the Connecticut Society of CPAs. And basically, several years later, I became president. And Peter, if you looked at the profiles of all the previous presidents and you compared mine to them, they'd say, what is this guy doing here? I, and I did not set out the quest to become president. It just, it just evolved. And I seized the moment. And I was very proud to have been president. We share a very similar background, and because, um, as you all know, I was president. We call it chairman of the, of the Ohio Society Executive Board. And same thing. If you look the profiles of the hundred past before me, same thing. I I did at one point aspire to that role, but I you don't get to that level without a network of people to help you get there. Correct. And I just built a very strong network. And network my way in, into that role. And, and I say the same thing. If I, if me, if I can be president, chairman of the Ohio Society of Executive Board, you can too. You can do anything that you want to. You just got to set your mind to it. You're right. When I finished my term on the Board of Governors at that time, we, we revamped the entire program, which I won't bore your listeners with. When I was done, I took the initiative and I called some respective parties, and I, and I basically inquired. I really enjoyed my time, and I don't know what the plans of the powers to be are, but I don't know whether you tap them on the shoulder or you ask them, you see who raises their hand. So I'm going to raise my hand, and if I'm worthy of it from your perspective, I would love to continue in the process. And that was it. So all out of being on playing in a golf tournament that I became president. Of course, there were more dip, more steps and had to work hard, et cetera, and, and make commitments and sacrifices. But if you ever talk to people that are in the higher echelon of their profession, which I don't consider myself, and you say, oh, so-and-so's got a great job or so-and-so is really wonderful – it always they always make it look easy, but you never know how hard they worked to get to where they are. And I tell people all the time, anything worth striving for takes an effort. You have to put it in. And if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. And I tell people all the time, people want things in life, but they don't do what it takes to get to what they want. And regarding the networking, 
if you ask for someone's help, if they know that you're genuine, they will give you the time, but it better be genuine. And at work, if you ask someone to do your job for you, they may help you once or twice, but over time, they're not going to help you. But if you have worked hard and you ask for their help, they will help you. And you'd be shocked at how quickly you can prosper and grow. And, and next thing you know, you are a mentor to somebody else. You know, as, as, I've, I've, as I've listened through this conversation, if I could, I think you would agree with this. I, I think Whatever you say, Peter, I agree with you. <laughs> Maybe indirectly over the years in doing your networking and, and this persistence and, and, and looking down different paths and, and, and going after opportunities, you've been using those two words that I use a lot, yes and, in your building of the network versus yes but, which stops networking. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Peter, did you understand what gravitated me to come up to and talk to you that day? I mean, as soon as I heard you talking, I said, I got to talk to this gentleman at the break. There's, we, we all tend to want to um, develop friendships with people who we think have similar personalities and certain traits and interests. And I was gravitated towards you right away. In fact, I went home and told my wife, you're not going to believe I met this wonderful gentleman today. And look how it has spurned our, our friendship just by me coming up and talking to you at the break. Right. Exactly. You could have, you could have not, not said a word, uh, even though our, our backgrounds are, are similar in a lot of ways, as well as you are Greek. I am Greek. I, I, I probably, yeah, I, I know I probably made a comment about that, but you could have maybe just sat there with nothing and then, you know, nothing would have ever happened. We, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have met. I wouldn't have known about this book. You wouldn't be on the podcast. We wouldn't. And this has been going on for about a year and a half, almost, almost two years now. Right. Yes, sir. And, and I, I keep trying to get back up to Connecticut. Cause when I, when I do get back up there, I know I'm going to look you up and, and it's just, I, I mean, that, that's the fun of networking. You bet. The stories that you can tell the people that you meet. And, and, and when I think about, I think about this one time I was doing a networking program for a conference it was for a group of CPAs, and I made the comment, did anybody bring their business cards today? And out of 40 people, maybe 10, and I asked the 10, what do you use your business card for? And this one woman goes, um, I, I use my business card to put it in the fish bowls at the vendors to get you know the gifts. And I just politely and respectfully you know, said, is that the best return on investment of that business card? Well, if they get the free lunches, it might. Well, who knows, right? <laughs> That's true. But the, yeah, and then someone, you know, as we were having this conversation, someone said, I don't bring my business card to these things because it's just a bunch of CPAs. Why do I need to know more CPAs? And I went, if you look at one CPA, how many people don't you see? Probably three, 400 people within their network. Everybody knows somebody. Bring you, This is one of the best places in our profession to network. You bet. And I think people are starting to realize that. And, and it may be a wonderful, excuse me, it may be a wonderful way to get a job too. Exactly. And I do want to ask you this question. Uh, I've had a number of people over the years come up to me and they've been in their jobs for 15, 20, 25 years. The company has been bought. Their role has been diminished and they're looking for a job. And I, and I hear this all the time. I haven't networked in 25 years. Where do I start? Great question. What advice would you give this person or these people? Well, I would use the same approach I had, I use with the students, only I would elevate it at the, the professional level. And I would start with, are you involved 
with your college alum. And of course, most people aren't. They may not even have a LinkedIn page. I would really, I would try to assess, just like a doctor assess, uh, talking to their patient, I try to assess where their pain is, what they know, and what they don't know. And then I would give them a step-by-step process to help them build on it. But I would focus on, tell me, are you still in touch with any of your former employees that may have left the company? People that work for you or people you work for? Are you involved in any professional organizations? How involved are you with your own place of worship? I would just keep looking for commonality. How about your own family members? I often think about the person who all of a sudden becomes an insurance salesperson. And what's the first thing that they do? Who do you get a phone call from? Yeah, exactly. I just, I got home late last night and there's one of our neighbor's kids calling me. He says, I just walked in and phone rings. So I answered it. Imagine not answered the phone. <laughs> Mr. Lanus. I said, yes, I won't say this person's name. Um, can I talk to you? Well, sure. What is it? He goes, I'm now selling, but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if I talk to four people, I'm going to, uh, I have, to, I get some bonus. I said, do me a favor. I just got in the door. Call Mrs. Lanus tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't say like get lost. Kid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but trying to just, I know that's a, that's kind of a remote example, but getting back to the person who's been in the workforce, they have the skills. It's just, they haven't had to nurture them. And they may have waned. So you have to help them with step-by-step build up their confidence. And you know, if somebody's been downsized, most likely they're, the company as part of the downsized package will give them an outplacement service. That's a start. That's a start. But the person who has been so immersed in their career, family, and they've neglected their, their networking, what I tell them, is that when you do land your next job, remember the pain you went through with developing your own network group and help somebody else. And likewise, spend time on keeping your network group sharp. And that person will also have contacts just as the college students did. It just takes time. But there's no magic formula. It's ask for help and you'll get help. Now, if they are a CPA, I obviously ask them to get involved with their with their state society, and there may be the ability to post resumes. There may be able to network. I mean, Connecticut, we have six thousand members. When I go to students and other and CPAs who are not members, I'll say, "Why are you not a member? There's six thousand members you can talk to. Not all are going to be germane to help you, right? But those are six thousand people who know another six thousand people. Period. It's not hard. It just takes time." I always say, you know, networking, take the net and the ing out of it. It requires work. Very good. Very good, sir. It requires work. And as you have eloquently articulated here, it takes a lot of work to develop a network, but that work does pay off in the long run. You bet. And if you don't do it, will anything become different? No. Now, here's the here's an analogy also I've come up with. All right. We're accountants. We tend not to be creative. Of course, if we're a creative accountant, we might end up in jail, but I'm not going there. The, the thing is, go back to high school days. You need a date for the prom. Now, the accountant will say, gee, if I don't ask her, she can't say no, right? Right. But the person who needs a job is going to say, well, I'm going to ask her because she might say yes. And what's the worst that happens? She says, no, I go to the next one. Right. But imagine if she does say yes, how you'll feel. For all those other people who don't want to ask her, you do ask her, she may be thrilled. So 
the worst thing that happens. What's the worst thing that happened? And, and whether you are networking, uh, and you said something earlier on about we have to sell ourselves. And, and anything we do, no matter whether we're an accountant, uh, we sell ourselves every single day and realize that we are salespeople. We might not be selling Clorox or something like that or some product, but that, that product that we sell is ourselves. An idea, a theory, a, a position, um, recommendation, numerous things. Numerous things. Exactly. And one of the best stories someone recently told me that uh, as it relates to selling yourself, and in a sense of indirectly networking, um, there was a position, a person left a position, and the company would normally post for the for the open position, but they had the ideal person, and they they put that person in that role, and they this person said everybody in the office went back crap crazy because oh you didn't post, and she said to this group every day you walk into this building you are interviewing, and you know what your interviewing skills over the last six months have not been up to par or even close to par as this person's interviewing skills. And that's why we didn't feel like we needed to interview. Same thing with networking. It's, you know, what you're networking, you're, you're interviewing every time you're in front of anybody. Do you know, Peter, along that same line, you, if a person, a, pers- a prospective candidate, now we talk about the networking. It's a great way for companies to hire people. It's a great way for somebody to get a job. It's a two. It's a two-way street. I actually got a job offer once from a CPA firm via a CP seminar. Just happenstance, the partner came over and started talking to me, and it, I'll never forget. It was the closely as, uh, tax aspects of closely held. What was I doing in this seminar? <laughs> I needed a CP. One night, I get a phone call, and this was early in my career. And he said, "Greg, you impressed me. I wanted to talk to you." I didn't take the job because in my day, you didn't leave one CPA for him to go to another. But the fact is it happened. But where I was, what I was going to go with is you see an ad and it says, contact HR, mail, mail your resume. What do most people do? They just send the resume in. And where does it go? It goes in the abyss. Exactly. What's the smart person do? The one that has a little initiative or creativity. I didn't say creative account. Just <laughs> creativity. I, I would, first, I'd make a phone call. To whom? To whoever the HR person is that's in that ad. All right. I'm going to give you something else. That's one step. Okay. What's the other step? You know the company as opposed to a blind ad. Oh, right. Yeah. You know the company and you have a LinkedIn page. Take a couple hours. Take a day. I don't care. Try to find out who the job reports to because who gets hired by a company, and, and this is no disrespect towards HR people, please, but if you want to get it done faster, you go to the source. So let's find out it reports to Mary Jones in, in accounting or finance. You don't know who Mary is, but you find out who reports to. Now the next thing is you might want to network to see if somebody knows Mary Jones that knows someone that you know, et cetera. Now that may be a stretch to get the the buy-in from a party to hand deliver your resume to Mary Jones. But if you have a connection to someone who likes you and trusts you, he or she will take that resume to Mary Jones. Or to your point, what's the worst thing that happens if you pick up the phone and you call Mary Jones? Now you can figure out her domain, so you can send her an email, but email and phone are both the vehicles to go to. Now, if she doesn't access her email, She's not going to know you emailed her. If she doesn't access her phone, she's not going to know that you called her. And you may get the admin. So you plead your case. 
And the admin may say, get me the resume and I'll get it to her. That's fine. And then, of course, you can do a trick that I did, of course, is call maybe after five or six o'clock at night or call seven o'clock in the morning when Mary's at her desk. Right. Okay, I wouldn't do it the same day. I might wait a few days. And meanwhile, you can also send your resume in through the the process that the company requires. Now, let's say there are 50 people applying for that job, 100. Only one person reaches out to Mary Jones. What do you think? Who is more likely to get the interview? Right. And it's not because you're technically better. It's because you took more initiative. And the purpose of a resume is to get an interview, not get the job. You get the job. Just a, a thread that, that's in everything that you've said is doing your homework in essence of learning who Mary is. Correct. Uh, learning maybe she went to. She could have been an alum of your college, you bet. Uh, and also research the organization and understand how that organization operates as much as you can get off of paper. Do your homework. I love that route that you that, that you just took us down, and you're more than likely going to be in front of the decision maker a lot quicker. You bet. Than going the traditional route. Mary may reject you. Say, you "Got to go through HR. I can't talk to you right now." Okay. So what? At least you tried. But she's going to remember you when when that resume comes across her desk. Oh, this is it's that Greg guy that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He. I wonder how he found me. Now we all come across people who have incredibly strong intellect, very smart, technically sound. And then we all meet people who have incredible personality that we all gravitate towards. The worst thing is someone smart who can't talk. And the worst thing who's all talk and then all form and no substance. Yeah. If you follow me. Yeah. Those are my work papers, by the way, I had no substance or form, <laughs> but the thing is we all go after and, and gravitate towards the hungrier person. Now, you can't teach hunger. You can't teach desire. Either you have it or you don't. The thing is, it can be maxed out. I mean, you could you could maximize whatever you have. But I can tell you that you talk to all leaders, they're always going to say, I wish my people showed more initiative. I wish they showed more desire. Because most likely, the person that you're reporting to had those traits. So if you can, if you can exhibit those traits with sound technical experience, not just sub, not just form, then the chances are you're going to emerge. It's real simple. It, it, you know what? I, I say this a lot. It's, it's so simple, but it's hard. Yes. It's because of the, because of the, the, the effort, the persistence, the amount of work to put into it. But to your point, it is so simple. Uh, Greg, I, I, I can't one begin to thank you enough for your wisdom. I mean, I mean but those who, who I don't care if they're looking for a job after they've listened to this interview on networking, they're going to be so much smarter, wiser, and creative in the way of either in their current job search or beginning to build that wonderful network around them. So when that time does come that they need that network, they can, they can call on. And, you know, quite frankly, you've given me a couple of great ideas that even in my business, as I'm trying to get in front of more and more people, that I'm going to use that strategy. And, and just know this, my friend, there's another interview with me and you. Uh, in, in the future because we could we could take this whole networking path and, and go even deeper and I know there's other paths that we can take. I can even tell you how I got how I got into the book. That's a story unto itself. I won't bore you now. 
we'll we will save that for the next one and how it may be more detailed on how you network yourself into a character into a book uh greg i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule i greatly appreciate this has been so much fun i i hope you've enjoyed it and thank you again peter it was my pleasure and i'm thrilled that you even asked me to to participate thank you greg and now uh, we'll, we'll talk we will talk soon Now, that was a fun and very informative interview around the topic of networking your way to employment. Every strategy that Greg used had something to do with improvisation. I know that the three key elements were respect, listen, and focus. If you have respect for the person and the organization, and you are listening to understand all the while being focused on your conversation, you will be successful. How you have respect for the person and the organization is to do your homework and learn as much about them as you can. Knowledge is powerful and it helps in gaining respect from the other person. Now, I'm looking forward to a future episode with Greg to learn how he networked his way into being a character in the book Flashback by Gary Braver. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you feel so moved, I would greatly appreciate it if you would write a review on iTunes. I think Greg would appreciate it as well. In episode 23, I interview Claudia and Tom Trusty, who are the owners of Trusty & Company, which is a wonderful full-service marketing firm located in Dublin, Ohio. So until the next time, use the principles of improvisation and become a better networker. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.